0: Can an engineering approach to designing learning opportunities help increase learner engagement? What kinds of data can we collect to tell if our students are actually engaged in learning? These are some of the questions we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Jim Goodell, a learning engineering expert. Ready, set, activate! So Jim Goodell is the Director of Innovation at Quality Information Partners, uh, the Vice Chair of the IEEE Learning Technology Standards Committee and a leader in the IEEE Industry Consortium on Learning Engineering. He is a nationally recognized expert on education data standards and on using education data for personalized learning and formative assessment. Jim is the co-editor of the newly released Learning Engineering Toolkit, Evidence-Based Practices from the Learning Sciences, Instructional Design and Beyond, and co-author of The Science of Remote Learning and Student-Centered Learning. Jim Goodell, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Sure, so um, I imagine a lot of people are unfamiliar with learning engineering. Can you give us a basic introduction? Um, I have a feeling it's not really learning how to engineer.
1: That's right. It's not just about training engineers. Learning engineering is a process in a practice that applies the learning sciences using human-centered engineering design methodologies and data-informed decision making to support learners in their development. Okay. I know that there's a lot to that. Yes,
0: there's yes, yeah, so let's unpack <laughs> the, it.
1: <laughs> so the, yeah. So the the key words are it's it's a process. It's not necessarily a person. Mm-hmm. It's often a team of people working together to do the process and practice learning engineering. Um, You'll notice another key word is the learning sciences. This mm-hmm. is the application of learning sciences. And it is human-centered. So the idea is we're not doing things to learners. We're developing for learners. And often that's done with co-development. Involving learners in the process. Hmm, And that can be done in a formal way uh, through code development or it could be done in a way that um, engages with them in rapid cycle iterations to um, come up with what's optimum for the learner population. Um, Another key word is data. Um, You can't Hmm. do learning engineering without instrumenting and analyzing data because it the learning engineering process is an iterative process that is data informed.
0: Okay. So what is, what is instrumenting data?
1: Instrumenting is basically how you collect the data. Okay. So in an online platform, um, that may be capturing clicks and taps and putting context around those clicks and taps so mm-hmm. that you can lies how a learner engages with um, a le- some learning content.
0: So it's more than just like what educators would think of as assessment. So not just what you know, but what behaviors are the students um, doing during the learning process?
1: It can be, it, it depends on what your challenges and what questions you want answered from the data.
0: Okay. Um, So a lot of this, like I'm kind of imagining um, how an engineer approaches a problem. It's like kind of thinking about, well, if, if teachers were engineers, how would they approach the problem of learning in their classroom?
1: Yes, and some teachers in the classroom, you might say, are doing learning engineering. If they're, if you, if you take that definition of applying mm-hmm. the learning sciences, using human centered, involving the learners in the process, using engineering, which includes things like uh, modularization, you break down the problem into modular parts, and you think of learning as a system with learners as part of that system, mm. and you use. And a lot of teachers use data to inform decisions. Yep. So, in, in some ways, teachers can be doing learning engineering. It is hard to do learning engineering well as an individual, though. It's mm-hmm. often done in teams, especially for scaled solutions.
0: Okay. So, what's the benefit of being in a team doing learning engineering?
1: One benefit is one person can't know and be able to do everything. So learning engineering teams also, uh, they often bring together um, multidisciplinary experts to work on a problem together. So you may have a psychometrician and you may have um, a a subject matter expert and a data scientist and others all working together to solve a problem.
0: Okay, so... Maybe like if you were in, you know, a K through 12 system, you might involve your um, curriculum specialist. You might involve your, um, you know, tech director. You might involve different people to kind of help you um, look at this process beyond just what you're able to bring to it yourself. Um, Or if you were in higher ed, maybe you would reach out to Um, uh, institutional research, Um, and maybe the people who manage the learning management system to see what kind of data they could get.
1: It's a shared problem-solving process, and that really can take the burden off of what a lot of teachers are feeling right now, Mm -hmm. that everything is on their shoulders. They need to solve all the problems by themselves. And I think as education systems and as learning professionals, we need to find ways of working together and um, co-developing solutions to problems, even problems in a classroom. But um, rather than have each teacher try to solve the same problem a thousand different times, (laughs) have to face, why not all work together and solve some of those common problems and share the burden?
0: Uh, I love the way you put that about you know, being a classroom teacher, cause I, I did that for a while. Um, it is isolating. You're, you're in your room and you feel like you're taking on everything on your own. And, you know, especially nowadays, especially after the pandemic, you know, teachers are so burned out. You don't have to do it alone. And like what, what you're saying from learning engineering, you know, that you, you actually do it better when you have a team.
1: Yes. And it- granted the system needs to adapt as well because right now there's probably not the time and um and infrastructure in place to help educators work together in ways that would be ideal mm-hmm. um, but that gets into policy of things that I probably don't want to give an opinion yeah, on yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to the, uh, rivers and lakes that we're used to. <laughs> um, so, um, if let's, let's put this into context into like a real, a real problem. Um, and you tell me how learning engineering would, would approach this. So let's imagine that, um, we want to, our, our problem is we want to increase learner engagement. And our setting is a fourth grade classroom in an underfunded inner city school. So how would we use a learning engineering approach to address that problem?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, Because too often, learner motivation has not been um, considered part of the problem. Mm -hmm. It's all about the cognitive side of learning. But motivation is a huge part of effective learning. And there's a chapter in um, the learning engineering toolkit called tools for learner motivation. Oh. so what we do is we break down we we look we look beyond education and learning to what other fields are really um, gaining a great understanding of human motivation. And motivation is much bigger than engagement. Engagement mm-hmm. is one part of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so so. Um, we can look to um, fields like behavioral economics and um, and even marketing and advertising they they they've done a lot of work and they understand the kinds of things that motivate people mm. and there are some frameworks out there that we looked at for this chapter in the learning engineering toolkit from, um, Um, So, for example, there was a Scientific America article by Daisy Yuhas that identified critical elements for motivation, sustained motivation. Um, There's a book by Daniel Pink on motivation, and um, there's a gamification expert named Yukai Chow, who has a framework called the Octalysis Framework, and it breaks down... (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not that complicated it it actually identifies eight core drives for human motivation and it's things things like um social status some people (laughs) are motivated by social status other people are motivated by possessions um and he he organizes it into kind of white hat gamification and black cat gamification so there are some things like scarcity that kind of fall into the black hat gamification, um, but it's not necessarily bad. If it motivates mm-hmm. you to good learning behaviors, then um, things like um, the fear of loss. Um, I know platforms like Duolingo use things like streaks. Oh, make- okay. Yep. Um, so you don't yeah, want to you don't want
0: to break your streak. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So, so that's, it's, it's sort of negative. It's the fear of loss, but Mm -hmm. if it helps you learn better and and engage in productive learning behaviors as a learner, then why not? Why not use those tools that are available? Um, So, uh, so essentially we kind of merge the the different frameworks that are out there into one table so that you can kind of classify um, if you have a, if you have this problem, like your question about um, increasing learner engagement in a fourth grade classroom, you can look at the problem holistically and think about, okay, first, what are the big M motivators for the, this group of students? Um, and what I mean by big M motivators are the, the things that are intrinsic and um, maybe lower down on Maslow's hierarchy of needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a good story from Duolingo um, that they analyzed their data and realized that they had some different classes of users. They have people that need to learn the English language, let's mm. say to yep. get a job in the US. Yep. So that's a big M motivator. Um, but then they have other people that are interested in learning a language and it's kind of a hobby nice to have and yep. they sometimes call those people who engage with their platform as um candy crushers
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> right? yeah you, know,
1: you want to keep the streak up and and, yep. and get a good score and um you know the satisfaction of learning the language but it's not it, it's not about putting food on the table
0: mm-hmm
1: keeping a job. And so you have to realize that um, different, for some learners, you can tap into those big M motivators. And for some, you need to use more of the nudges, like um, streaks. Mm,
0: Yeah. So then in our fourth grade classroom scenario, it's, not so much about, okay, let's, let's read about motivation and let's apply a bunch of techniques. It's starting with understanding our learners and why are they not motivated?
1: Yes, and what might motivate them. Yeah. And re- realize that every person is different and people are motivated by different things at different times. So having a variety of strategies concurrently mm-hmm. is a good way to go.
0: Okay. And then, so then taking us through that cycle, because you talked about, you know, planning for data collection and iteration and all that stuff. Um, so the, so if we're talking about learning engineering, how would we actually define and measure that in that fourth grade classroom?
1: Okay. Um, so you can do, um, kind of basic experimentation methods so you you can do kind of a b testing and find okay. out okay i'm going to try this and or abc testing We're, i'm going to try this set of motivated um motivational um nudges mm-hmm. and see which works and maybe if some work better than others then i'll focus on those that tend to work better for for this class of students.
0: Mm, Okay, yeah. Oh, exactly, for this class of students because, you know, as classroom teachers know, every class that you have is different. I mean, you could be teaching the same class five times a day and you teach it differently five different ways.
1: (laughs) And learning engineering is human-centered. So it's the, and if if you um, look at the, process model for learning engineering. It's um, there's a there's a circle in the center that mm-hmm. is the challenge that you're trying to solve, and that's where yeah. you always start. But that challenge is surrounded by context. and that context includes the learners that you're designing for or developing a solution for, and the team that you're is is developing the solution and other resources. And all of those need to be considered. Um, because we all have constraints. We have constraints of time and money and resources. Um, so we need to find the best solution with the resources that we have.
0: Mm, yep. And um, you know, I gave you the example of an underfunded inner city school. So chances are they don't have a lot of financial resources, but um, you know, they they might have human resources, they might have people who could. You know, maybe the fourth grade team gets together and talks about these things and tries out different things in their classroom.
1: Exactly. There, there are some low cost and low effort ways of um, implementing um, motivators for that tap into um, social status, for example, or um, empowerment. Um, you, you know, the fourth grade students, might be given the power to um, do something within the classroom that they wouldn't have mm. um, if they achieve achieve certain goals um, accomplishment, ownership, meaning um, is is the learning activity tied to something that is meaningful to the learner? Um, is it is it tied to some if a lot of people are um motivated by the idea of doing something that's bigger than themselves so is maybe they're the, the class is working on a project that's going to help their community
0: oh, okay yep mm-hmm. yeah um so then what would you be collecting data on because data you know we're Um, especially in like K through 12 schools, it's, it's all like data focused now with our standardized tests. And what do those, those tell us about our students and um, you know, some, sometimes um, it seems a little um, nebulous and overwhelming for, for teachers who don't have like a data science background. Like what, what are some practical data things that teachers could do you know or or college professors um could they do to gather data on their learners and then what do they do with that data how do they make sense of it
1: so some data their teachers are already collecting so things like did students get homework assignments in on time is is collected in the grade book mm-hmm. so that that's already there um, other things can be done through observation. Um, so, and the more frequent and timely kinds of data um, are often more valuable because it provides mm-hmm. tighter feedback loops. So, standardized once a year tests are not very valuable,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. In the
1: learning engineering sense, um, it's it's and and preparing for a standardized test. Um, I heard someone recently say, um, I can't remember who said this, but it's um, it's like um, prepping for your annual physical exam. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you can do, you know, the week or two before to lower your blood pressure, like change yeah. your diet <laughs> m- momentarily, and you'll yeah. have better blood pressure and um, cholesterol will look better, but then you go back to the old habits and yeah, so' we're, um, i I think k twelve needs to move towards now that the technology is available to more frequent assessments, and um the 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 idea of we need very rigorous assessments. Um, and the psychometricians want to make sure that um the order of the questions are a certain way and things like that Mm -hmm. um but if you have more frequent data points you don't need as rigorous of an instrument as you do with once a year Mm. because the more data can make up and it doesn't
0: have to take up a whole day either like it can be quick little assessments
1: and it rather than just Assess, really the, the assessment is assessing the school. Is the school hmm. equitably serving the needs of the different learner populations? And that's that can be done in a way that uses formative assessment data that's also helping the learners on a continuous basis. Hmm.
0: So what, like I'm, now I'm thinking in higher ed too, I mean, almost everyone is using a learning management system now, and those things are collecting data. Like, what, what could we do with that data? Like, if, we, if our problem was not in fourth grade, but in higher ed, like, you know, you had a, you know, biology 101 class or something, and, um, you know, the instructor thought that the students were really not very engaged, what, what LMS data would help them understand this problem?
1: So there's some built into LMSs. Every time someone logs on, how much time they spend, um, depending on the LMS and the instrumentation of the LMS, there they may be using a standard like um, the OneEdTech Tech Caliper standard, um, which collects data within an LMS system um, from uh, launched applications, or um, the XAPI standard, which collects data from learning experiences to a common learning record store um, that could can be used across LMSs and other kinds of learning um, experiences. So-,
0: so like with other other platforms, like say if I was using Flipgrid in my class or something like that, I could marry the two data sets
1: that's the idea of XAPI, that any kind of experience, whether it's in front of a screen or whether it's on your phone, um, the US Army is using it to capture data about um, performance of teams in, in, in medical settings and um, pilots in aircraft and wow. in, in soldiers in the field. Wow. And um, so wherever a learner is, and whatever they're doing, that data can be captured, that experience can be captured and used to um, give feedback to the learner and to give feedback to the those developing the learning experiences so They can iteratively improve.
0: Wow. Oh, so there's a lot of data out there that we're not using right now. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's something we need to work on. <laughs> Um, now, I have, I have three questions that I ask all of our guests. So first, what is a major barrier to learning engagement that you have experienced?
1: Hmm. So I, I think of the misfit between individual learners and group learning experiences. So I, on one side, there may be the cognitive load. For some students in a classroom um, and the other end of the spectrum, students are bored. Mm. And it gets to the zone of proximal development. Mm -hmm. And I think I've experienced both sides of that as a learner. Yeah. (laughs) I've also seen it in contexts where I've um, been trying to help other people learn.
0: Mm. Uh, Is there a way around that?
1: There is with um, technology can help and with a lot more of learning experiences happening online or in a connected way. Mm -hmm. Um, It provides an opportunity for adaptive instruction and also um, customized coaching to provide different scaffolding for different learners.
0: So you could still have group instruction, but it's it's targeted to individual needs.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of scaffolding.
0: Yeah. Um so my next question is about the future. What should we start thinking about or exploring in our discussions on learning engi- engineering, sorry, not learner engineering, learner engagement that is not fully being addressed yet?
1: Okay. I'm I'm going to get futuristic here. And it's not too far into the future because we can all, already see it in other areas, but Um, And that is intelligent agents or AI Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, being part of the experience. Um, Right now, we already see in just our daily lives how AI is helping us learn things or give us access to information with Siri, Cortana, Alexa. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't need to focus as much on fact-based learning as we used to because we, can, we have a device in our pocket that can get us instant answers. <clears throat> there, is, there is a baseline of um, fact-based learning that anyone needs to become an expert in a subject, mm-hmm. um, but it's more about connecting the concepts in novel ways because experts don't just know more, they know differently.
0: Mm, Yeah. They, they think differently about their content. Yeah. So, but like a, a classroom teacher, how would they be using um, artificial intelligence?
1: Okay. Let, let me paint a picture of a future scenario of, of um, class of, of learning in schools. um, And then I'll work my way back from that. So I, I see a future where learning and working Is um, blurring together, especially at high school and college levels. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the most important skills that people need to learn for the future is to be lifelong learners. Yep. And right now, that is not really taught in schools. And so I imagine a future where in elementary school, students are learning to learn. Um, and they're learning to learn in a um, a new kind of way. It's groups of people, groups of student learners, with adult um, coaches and AI agents. Um, and they're working on solving problems together, and and learning together. The AI agents are learning about the learners, Mm -hmm. about the human learners to better scaffold and coach and guide their learning process. And the learners are learning, um, but they have more agency than they currently do. Instead of education being done to them, they become part of um, that learner because they're already at the elementary level learning to become lifelong learners. And as they move into middle and high school, They're moving more into um, the future scenario where um, of augmented intelligence or intelligence augmentation, where teams of people are working together with AI agents to get work done. And so, in the future, high school, I think is a blending of um, the, the traditional learning, what you need to do to just make your way into the world Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: starting to experience, um, what that blur between working and learning is. Um, and, um, right now we're, we have a real crisis where students graduate from high school and then from college and employers say that they're not ready Mm. to enter the workforce, even though they have these great credentials and, I see a future where that's not a problem because there's some experience in work-like situations already happening before they fully enter the workforce. And then once they enter the workforce, they're still, a part of their job is to continuously learn for the rest of their lives. Mm.
0: So you're really talking about like, bringing more metacognition in early so that students start to understand how they learn so that they can start take that learning into their own hands and have more agency in their learning. And we use AI to kind of facilitate a lot of these things, but it doesn't replace the teacher because the teacher is still kind of orchestrating everything. But the AI is kind of like the teacher helper, you know, filling in a lot of those things that free up the teacher to be able to to do the the things that are most important in the classroom
1: exactly that, I the,
0: like that, that future
1: <laughs> the metacognition is is really important and um the, the, I I know a lot of people that are still teaching in K- k-12 classrooms and they're frustrated right now mm-hmm. um, because they're being called to do things that they really didn't sign up to do um what 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 um their strengths are is the human side of learning Mm -hmm. interacting with the students the coaching the scaffolding and and this future frees them up to do the thing they love doing
0: Mm, yep wouldn't that be wonderful yes i love that future (laughs) So as we wrap up, my final question is what is the one thing you want people to remember from this conversation about learner engagement?
1: Um that it's not one size fits all. That and even at at different points in time, learners are motivated by different things. So it really is important to understand the learner. And we can use the learning engineering process to consider the learner as the center of a system that, that um, helps the learner continuously, but also helps professionals to better understand and optimize that system so that every learner has um, the best opportunities. To learn and be productive for the rest of their lives.
0: Wow, that is wonderful. And um, I, I have to make a plug for this learning engineering toolkit book that I have um, almost read all of it um, because it's so approachable for anyone who is interested in learning engineering to really see, oh, I'm already doing this, but oh, hey, here's this other cool thing and all of the tools to actually get started. So like if you are thinking about motivation, yeah, as you mentioned, the table that shows all of these ways of thinking about motivation and all of the elements. And then, oh, hey, here are these websites or these other tools that you could use to start, you know, making some changes, experimenting in your classroom and, you know, testing for the results, which um, I think is really, really exciting. So. Jim Goodell, thank you so much for joining us today um, and talking to us about learner um, engineering and learner engagement.
1: And it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Ian Fensi with sound editing and production by Ian Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org.